All right, welcome into Schizophrenic Music. This is Craig, and I am here with the Moonlight Mile Music Club, every member of the Moonlight Mile Music Club. Welcome, fellas. We've got hey. Don, Mark, Juan, Sean, Tom, and of course, Kevin. We're going to go through our turntable roundtable, talk about what we've been into this past week. So I'm going to pass the mic. Sean, what you been into this past week? Mine is actually from two weeks ago. I've been holding on this one, and I would love to actually hear reaction either when I finish or at the end of everyone's roundtable because I think this could lead to a, a bigger conversation, but it's around a, a, an artist. And when I mean an artist, an established artist that has a great album that never gets any credit. Hmm. And I think you could only narrow it down to the biggest artists of all time, maybe like a Springsteen or a Dylan wow. or, or Prince or somebody. But if, if you thought of it that way, the artist I'm going to mention in a minute is a, a huge, massive artist who ha is known for a couple of really big albums that he had. And the one that I'm going to talk about, he's not really known for. And in fact, at the time, it was a commercial flop and a critical flop. And that's Marvin Gaye, Hear My Dear. And <clears throat> that album is really, really incredible. And, and it's an interesting backstory, if, if you don't know, um, he was going through a really tough divorce at the time with Anna Gordy, who, yes, was related Barry, to Barry, Barry yeah. Gordy yeah, at, while he's recording for Motown Records. And um, they came to a settlement that was, okay, why don't you share the you know, proceeds of your next album as part of the settlement for the divorce? So I think Marvin's initial thought, and this could be more legend than truth, I'm not sure, but was, well, I'll just kind of mail it in. You know, I'm not going to do a serious album, but I probably would get a lot off my chest. Well, in the end, he didn't mail it in. He created a near masterpiece with this album, but it is bitter and vitriolic and sad and all those things because he's talking about the divorce. It is a, it's a divorce album, just like Blood on the Tracks, which is one of my favorite albums of all time and here my dear is really the more i listen to it the last couple of weeks is really climbing up there the very first song the title track he's even speaking through a lot of it parts of it but the music is just incredible all that makes you happy there's a lot of truth in it baby i don't think i'll have any regrets, baby Things didn't have to be The way they was, baby You don't have the right to use the son of mine Keep me in mind Something I can't do without Is the voice of God So happy for the sun of mine. So here it is. I hope you enjoy reminisce. Be happy. Think about the kisses. 
there were those other moments too. The times cloudy and gray. And there's so many great songs in this album that I listen to it and go, this influenced everyone. And it's not, you know, it's not what's going on, you know, but it's another serious topic. <laughs> and I think at the time it turned a lot of people away because it was so bare bones. Um, so, you know, he was bearing his soul and, you know, and, and I think putting it all out there before, you know, the internet and everything, he put a lot out there uh, with what was going on with his divorce. It's an incredible album. And I'd love to hear if anyone else is familiar with that album. If you're not, you definitely should check it out. And then maybe at the end, when everyone finishes, I'd love to hear if people have other examples like that of an album by a, a great artist that never gets its, its due. And by the way, fast forward to today, now it's considered what it should have been all along, which is a masterpiece. It gets four and a half stars on all music. But just at the time, people were completely turned off by it. But everyone's come around to what a genius album it was. And Marvin Gaye was a genius. I don't know all anything right. about that album. That's great. I look forward I to it. I don't either. Me either. Yeah. I will now it. listen to it. Yep. You know, it's like any great record. Give it, give it a couple of spins. But I think the first song right out of the gate is just incredible. And it, to me, it right out of the gate, it, it, it gets you with that song. And you listen to the words, too. Very cool. Let's go with, let's go with Craig. Hey, good stuff, man. I'm looking forward to checking that out. I am going to reference, we didn't talk about this during the roundtable. We talked about it after the fact because it was about Alice Cooper and Detroit stories. The song that we featured came from a band that just seemed out of the blue. The song seemed out of the blue. It didn't sound anything like something that Alice would do. And so after the fact, when Kevin brought up who it was a cover of, I was like, I have not heard that name in so long, but I wanted to hear that band back in the day and I couldn't get their stuff. And so give you a little bit of a backstory. This, uh, this guy brought in the CD that, with a really cool psychedelic cover. And I got me to throw this in. This is really cool looking at it. It had just been released and it's a band called The High Dials. And they put out an album in 2005 called War of the Awakening Phantoms. Such a great album. And I was just absolutely fascinated by not only the, the album, but I realized there's this record label I don't know about called Rainbow Chords. I was like, all right, so I love this album. I wonder what this label is about. Do they do a lot of psychedelic pop stuff? Because this sounds like stuff that you would hear back in the 60s. And so I started diving into the label and I just found this plethora of just great bands. Another band called Asteroid Number no. 4, who I'm still a fan of. In fact, their latest album made my top five last year. Another band called the 3410s, unfortunately didn't uh, make it past, I think, 2007 or 2008. But they had an album in 07, I want to say, called Down the Way. I just was on constant repeat. But the band I could never get is Outrageous Cherry. Just Jerry, and every time I tried to get it, it was always backordered, and I just forgot all about these guys. And what a freaking shame, guys! I don't know if y'all know anything about them. Mm-hmm. These guys, I'm so not that I needed any more respect for Alice because I love Alice, but it just gave me that much more respect for him that he did a cover and he was so proud of that band. They should be a Detroit legend in rock and roll. They have put out 14 albums. 
They were around. Really? No shit. Yeah. They were, they were around from 93. I think they started in 91, but they put out the, their first album in 94 and they did their final album in 2018. And the only reason it's their final album is the, the founding lead guitarist died of cancer the year before. So Matthew Smith is the founding vocalist and guitar player. And then the lead guitarist, his name was Larry Ray. When Larry passed away, Matthew just said, hey, I'm going to not dissolve the name, but just. So I went down this spiral of like, oh, now everything's digital. Now I don't have to worry about buying the CD. Let's check this stuff out. All right, let's go check it out. Every single album rocks. It is this perfect blend of psychedelic pop and garage rock. And there's nothing that really separates. You can't hear a big difference between their most recent album, which is called Meet You in the Shadows from 2018, and then their debut album, just called Outrageous Cherry. Seriously, it's just every single album is just full of nuggets. It's poppy. It's gritty. Uh, His voice, you talk about a guy's voice that hasn't changed over the years. He sounds just as vibrant as he did from the very first recording. I don't know how I didn't know about this band before, but right. I'm, I'm so glad you guys brought them up because uh, I completely forgot all about them. As far as where to start, I'm going to take Don's take on what he did with Rodriguez of go backwards, man. Start with their most recent album in 2018 and then go back to their first album. You just can't go wrong. So Outrageous Cherry. And I'm going to focus. Yeah. Give credit, of course, to the greatest rock star of all time. Alice Cooper, man. Mr. Alice Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> I had to give Kevin an, an opening <laughs> to, to tout his favorite artist of all time. All right. So let's pass the mic to, let's go to Don. Um, you know, it's always about what, what you're looking for next. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hiking a couple weeks ago and my dog and I came up on a coyote Ooh. Up here in Vermont. And beautiful. My, like the scraggly, like Texas coyotes. Beautiful creature. And I've seen it now a few times. And I spent some time in this valley, in this 
coyote comes out and like looks at me very quiet, very peaceful. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I'm telling a friend of mine about this and she, she sends back the spirit animal of the coyote. It's like, you're looking for fun and creativity. It's like the coyote's the jokester of the, of the spirit animal world. And I'm like, okay, follow the, follow the clues, stay on the path. And so I spent some time this week looking for something humorous in music. And, uh, and I found something absolutely fantastic. Uh, and I didn't know it when I found it. Um, the, the guy's name is Baxter Dury. And uh, he's an English musician. And uh, Baxter Dury is noted for his, his father, who Ian Dury and the Blockheads was really well known on yes. the European scene, right? I was wondering if he was really. That's cool. Okay. So Baxter Dury's debut was at his dad's memorial. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> right. That's so something that his son would do. That's so cool. Oh, right. man. And, and I was, I spent like the whole week listening to Baxter Dury stuff. And I'm like, I'm really amused and enthralled. And I like, I like this a lot. And uh, it's inverse of what you were just getting at. We're like discover and go backwards. His last record, which was 2020, is my favorite. And he's been putting out music 20 years. Nice. Um, so I'm like, how do you describe the guy? And I'm just going to default to somebody else's words because I couldn't. <laughs> yep. So sp spinning rye, observant stories of life among the well-heeled yet poorly behaved. <laughs> I'm loving this. I know it's like it's just seedy, um, sketchy. Reminds me of my twenties. <laughs> um, and uh, and it's just good. And it's dry wit, and uh, his writing is great. So Baxter Drury and and the record uh, I really dug a lot is called The Night Chancers. Carla's got a boyfriend. Horrible trousers and a small car. Carla's got a boyfriend. I spotted him on Instagram, followed him about a bit. Carla's got a boyfriend, a bit of designer hair, sloppy facial look. got a boyfriend I might take care of him to be honest got a couple others that date back to 2011 happy soup and 2017 prince of tears 
I think Night Chancers is a great record. It's not for your children to listen to. <laughs> Just be advised. Uh, but it's 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 good. It's cheeky. <clears throat> and God bless right. cheeky music. Yeah. Cheeky. Cheeky. Cheeky rock. rock. Let's start a new genre. Cheeky rock. New yeah. genre. Cheeky rock. Cheeky rock. <laughs> Come up with a bunch of them. Okay, put, put your <laughs> humor hat on and then listen okay. to Baxter Dury. Bedroom cheeky. Definitely. Pass that uh, baton over to Tom. Where you been? Sure. So, actually, I was struggling between two, and I think I'm going to save one for next time. But I, I was, every now and then, while I'm waiting for files to run, I'll start going down the YouTube hole. And one uh, that came up to me, I don't know how, whatever algorithms that come up, sometimes they have stuff that interests you. It's pretty amazing. But there's Linda, some Linda Ronstadt, old Linda Ronstadt. And um, it was a different drum for when she was in the Stone Ponies. What a great, great song Agreed. that is. And she, she's so good. Um, so anyway, I started doing some research and, and going through some of hers and her first album. And of course, everybody knows that she was kind of the, the Eagles were behind her before they were the, before they were the Eagles. So anyway, her first solo album though, after she was in the stone ponies, I was reading, it's regarded as one of the very first all country kind of albums, particularly from a female singer. So I was like, okay, I've never, sat down and listened and it's the it's called hand sewn and homegrown it's it's just so good honest it's probably more leans more on on the country um but really good and it's definitely has a firm footprint in that type of music that eventually the eagles would make more popular as well So anyway, that was that was a lot of fun just doing some going through the research. And, and one of the questions that came up, because if you start listening to a lot of her early music and she dabbled in so many different genres, including like um, she has a Mexican music album in Spanish. She has um, some a uh, couple jazz type albums and crooner type stuff. And it's interesting as you, as you see some of the because you 
I found myself really attached to some of the, her earlier type stuff. The other stuff's great, but then in the eighties, I felt like there is, and it's not just from her, but I feel like this kind of the vibe of the seventies, particularly in the probably country and that kind of thing, took such a turn in the eighties. Yep. Particularly, yep. it just um, musically and the types of in- instruments that you hear on albums and. It's just such a such a contrast. It, I don't think it, it had occurred to me as starkly as it did as I was kind of researching her career and going through some different time periods. I found myself yearning for the more the earlier type of um, more honest type type music that she was doing in the, in the beginning. So this is it's hand sewn, homegrown. Linda Rostand, her first solo album after the um, Stone Ponies. I encourage you guys to listen to some Linda Rostand if you hadn't done that in a while. Unfortunately, she's she came down with a uh, like degenerative disease, so she yeah. had to retire from singing, which is unfortunate. I think there's a, a documentary I've, I've seen advertised here recently too, um, floating around Netflix. I'll have to check that out. Yes. I have so many fond memories of Linda Ronset growing up. My mom was a big fan. She had an album called Silk Purse. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go down the rabbit hole with some Linda Ronstadt next week. So let's listen to Kevin. Okay. All right. So there's a band that it's one of those bands that they've been around since I believe 1976 and they just released a new album, but they're one of those bands that, they have a following, but they've never been a main band. They're, they're a little bit of super rock for everyone. But this is a band that uh, just just is so good. I saw them in concert. Actually, I have a friend that is a – her dad is a good friend of the drummer or whatever. So they played at the Echo Lounge years ago. And we're like, oh, my dad's friend's band playing down at the Echo Lounge. You guys go down there and we'll – we can probably hang out with them afterwards. We're like, uh, what band is your dad's your dad's yeah, drinking talking, buddy? Your, my dad's Dolphin? drinking buddy from Troy, New York. My dad's drinking buddy is in this band. And I'm like, what? What band? I'm like, and then she said, I'm like, oh, sh- shit, yeah. So we're down there. And like, he's a great drummer and a great band. But the band is, all of you are probably uh, – underground garage fans the band is the flesh tones flesh tones have been jamming and playing great music for years Mm. and years and years but they just released an album so i read that they released it around thanks around uh, halloween but it it just showed up for me in like february 26 when they came it's called face of the screaming werewolf by the flesh tones Mm-hmm. And it just, it's just flesh tones. It's just a straight up flesh tones album. It is what it is. It's good garagey, straight ahead rock and roll. Hell of a lot of fun.
a band that probably should be so much should be one of those bands we mentioned on the, the Wednesday uh, roundtable band that should be so much bigger than they are. Like everyone in the world should know about the flesh tones. Cause they're so good. It's just a great, great band. And this album just does not disappoint. You want to have a little bit of fun, listen to some good garage, listen to the flesh tones face of the screaming werewolf. Right on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on. So Mark go, Go. Okay, so I'm going to take you boys back through the mists of time a lot further than Kevin just did. Wow. Um, I kind of owe this one in a way to Juan because, you know, Juan brought up Charles Mingus a few weeks back and I was like, damn, that's a major name that I've never really explored. And I had another experience like that this week. I'm on several jazz um Facebook pages and I'm friends with a jazz artist in New York who I used to, we used to live in the same building and we would commute together and had great conversation. And he mentioned an artist that he said is just like a never ending fountain of hot jazz. And I'm like, have I ever actually listened to a full album by this artist? The artist is named Roy Eldridge. People know Roy Eldridge. Know the name. I've heard, but don't know. Well, Roy Eldridge, if you look up a list of top 100 trumpeters of all time, Roy Eldridge is generally in the top five. It's usually Louis Armstrong, Dizzy Gillespie, Clifford Brown, Lee Morgan, Roy Eldridge. (laughs) You know, he's always in the top five. And he's in the top 50 greatest jazz artists of all time, you know, overall. So anyway, I'm like, God, I need to listen to some Roy Eldridge. So I went on Spotify and I was absolutely tickled. Let me just give you a tiny bit of background. Um, Roy Eldridge was considered the greatest trumpeter in the world between the years 1935 and 1945. He was um, on the road since the age of 16. He joined Gene Krupa's band in the late 30s. He released a bunch of his own stuff. Real Prodigy became instantly famous. So when people talk about Roy Eldridge, they say they basically say two things about him. First thing they say is Roy Eldridge never played a boring solo. And that is absolutely true. This guy is freaking unreal. The second thing they say about him is that he is the bridge between Louis Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie. Dizzy Gillespie. That's what they always say, which, you know, he was influenced by Louis Armstrong. Roy Eldridge was Dizzy Gillespie's biggest hero, biggest influence. So, you know, yeah, between 35 and 45, he was the biggest star. He falls in that period, but he really is a very singular artist. I was reading an article uh, in Jazz Times, and it basically said that there, you know, he's not really a bridge to anyone. Like the joy in his music, you know, uh, no one actually since his time has been able to, to approach him. So I went on to Spotify. I learned something really cool this week. Craig will find this interesting. Spotify actually has some of the Mosaic box sets. I was shocked. Really? If you guys know, if you guys know Mosaic, 
Mosaic is a you know independent jazz label. They only sell they sell limited edition jazz box sets by mail. And once they they'll you know print two thousand copies, and once those copies are sold, that's it. They become collectors' items. They're extremely valuable. Anyway, um, so I go on there, and I'm I'm thrilled to find Roy Eldridge, the Complete Verve Sessions. On Spotify, eight CDs. Okay, so I'm like, well, I'm going to check this out and just at least sample the first part of it. Basically, the Verve sessions are Roy Eldridge's entire 1950s output. First album is 52. The last album is 1960. Okay, so I'm just, I can't tell you how completely transported I have been this week by this music. Seven hours and 41 minutes of pure bliss, okay? The thing about him, his, he's just got this incredible, brilliant tone. His solos are excellently constructed. They just build and build. You think the first chorus is exciting. The second chorus is even more exciting. The third chorus, there's so much tension and release. It is just ecstatic. I mean, it's just like a, a masterclass in how to build and craft a really exciting improvisational solo. So anyway, I've been spending the week on the thir on the 50s, and I'm like, well, I had to go back and check out the 30s stuff that he became initially so famous for, you know, scratchy 78s from 1937. It's the most exciting stuff you can imagine. Seriously, almost 90 years old, so exciting. And then I'm thinking, well, surely he must have gotten old and lost his fire as an old man. So I got, I went into the later seventies, listened to an album of Roy Eldridge and Oscar Peterson, and he's still mm -hmm. fantastic. He's still top of his game. The guy, the guy never, never lost his fire, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have not fallen this hard for a jazz artist in a lot of years. This guy is huge for me right now. 
you know, just a super amazing the guy was a rock star in his in his time, you know, completely amazing artist. So again, I've been listening to the complete Verve sessions, the 1950s recordings by the great, great, great trumpeter, Roy Eldridge. You can literally pick any song off this box set and it's good. Tons of variety, everything from Dixieland to some of the best ballad playing. You'll hear this side of Bobby Hackett. He does a duet album with Dizzy Gillespie. He does a trio album with Dizzy Gillespie and Harry Edison. Mm -hmm. He does some several songs where it's just Roy Eldridge and a drummer, which is super cool. This stuff, I'm just completely blown away. So great, great artist, Roy Eldridge. Kind so of. I'm confused. I'm confused. You're a fan. You like <laughs> Mark, I knew the name sounded familiar. You and I had talked about this before because I just picked up one of those Oscar Peterson albums. I picked up Joust, which is Oscar Peterson and the Trumpet Kings. And I think you and I were yes. talking about the two yes. guys I was least, well, three guys that I was least. Uh, <clears throat> three guys, with, right. Were Harry Sweet Edison, John Faddis, and Roy Eldridge. I knew Dizzy Gillespie, obviously, and I know Clark Terry a good bit because he's been on a lot of recordings, but I just didn't know any. And the two people that impressed me the most just on this album were the Roy Eldridge and John Faddis were the ones that really stood out to me. I was like, I don't know anything about these guys. So I'm sold. Count, so Count, Basie, Count Basie said Roy Eldridge is the best trumpet he had ever heard in his life. Wow. That's what Basie just, said. There's so much passion. There's so much heart. There's so much musicality. Just go play. He made a he made a song. This is a great story. He'd been recording all day. His lip was shot. He'd been drinking all day. He was drunk off his ass, according to his own account. And at the end of this day, they said, uh, "Roy, why don't you just record one more song?" And he's like, "You got to be kidding me! I am blind drunk. My lip is shot. There's no way." And the guy's like, "Just go for it." So he goes for it, and it's one of the greatest trumpet solos of that era. Literally, the song is Rocking Chair, 1941, Gene Krupa, Roy Eldridge. If you put that song on, you can't describe the beauty of that solo. Mm -hmm. And he played that with a bad lip while he was drunk at the end of a long day. The guy was a genius. They called him Little Jazz. That was his Little Jazz. Little Jazz. He was five foot three inches tall. He was a oh, short wow. man who had this intense, loud, exuberant sound. I mean, his sound is just unmistakable. Mm. I'm, awesome. I'm predicting a little bit of a uh, Roy Eldridge uh, rabbit hole this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking like if Mark could be like the pitch man for jazz, like I would listen to all of it. I'll do like a jazz I'll do like a jazz corner, like my own little jazz thing or something, you know? Yeah. I love, I love your enthusiasm for it. And like, I just inspire. Makes you, makes, doesn't make you like, ah, uh, you hear Mark talks about somebody like, yeah, I don't know if I want to listen to that. Or, mm, I'm not too, maybe I'm not too, I'm not too excited about what he just talked about. So. <laughs> It's, I don't think it's, it's fun when you find an artist, you know. Oh, hell yes. And the thing that's cool mm-hmm. about listening 
to music retrospectively, which yeah. is a lot of what I do, is it's like you can identify stuff that's already stood the test of time. Yeah. You know, Roy Eldridge's place in the Pantheon is assured. I mean, his place, they were talking about him on this jazz page I follow this week. So, you know, it's definitely stood the, the test of time. I think is Juan left? I think Juan has to go next. Yeah. Yes. All right. Sweet. Well, um, so there are uh, two uh, records I want to just uh, give a, a mention to real quick before I get into the main one. And that was uh, uh, last week I was uh, planning on talking about uh, my discovery uh, for then because it just came out of nowhere. It's from a genre I'm usually not too uh, familiar with, which is metal, but Blackwater Park by Opeth is is really good for anybody uh, looking to check out the more progressive side of metal. Uh, thanks to yes. Stephen Wilson and all that. And it uh, reminded me of uh, the whole discussion we were having about bands uh, keeping their names even after uh, all founding members have left. Because yep. that was uh, how, uh, that's how Opeth is, I think now but then uh uh and then anyways uh the uh other record is a, a newer release um really heavy uh pharaoh sanders influence um Ooh. but really uh enjoyable stuff nonetheless um it is from a group called work money death uh you're gonna have to bear with me on the title for this one uh, which is the space in which the uncontrollable unknown resides can be the place from which creation arises. <laughs> and that is uh, from this year, uh, currently one of my favorite records uh, so far, just because uh, back when I discovered Karma, I mean, that record hit hugely for me. So to hear more of this stuff coming out uh, this year. And from what I hear, it's supposed to be coming over from the UK, which I find all the more fascinating. Uh, just really uh, looking forward to spending more time with it. But uh, the main record uh, that I wanted to mention for this week's round table is uh, one that I was already familiar with, but I hadn't listened to it in full in a little bit. And Man, th this record is just way too much fun. Really inventive, really memorable and catchy. Uh, I've mentioned this band on a previous turntable, uh, but with one of their older records. But uh, Animal Collective is uh, back for me this time with their 2007 album, Strawberry Jam. Just really creative use of soundscapes and everything. Lots of interesting sounds just slathered all over the record. And I think the cover art just does a really good job of exemplifying the music within. If you just imagine taking a spoonful of, of strawberry jam and just eating it straight. The, the opening on that whole record is just, uh, you can't really look away from it. And then I think through and through that album just has a really good flow from song to song. But I think that stretch from chores all the way to fireworks is just one of the most fun times uh, I have listening to a record. It's, uh, I, I know if I uh, get the, uh, you know, in the mood to listen to chores, 
then afterwards I'm going to think, oh, well, there's a song that comes after, and then, oh, there's a song that follows that one. So it ends up turning into a small, like, 15-minute listening session just for those tracks and everything. Yeah, just re- really incredible stuff going on with that record. Uh, just yeah. love right. finding new ways to appreciate it. So, Strawberry Jam, Animal Collective. I like that one. Um, I've always been a, like a a pick and pick and choose Animal Collective fan. Mm-hmm. A few songs I go to, kind of the cafeteria plan. Yeah, like you know, like <laughs> oh, I like that song. That record's a long ride. Because <laughs> if you're not in the mood for the whole record, Animal Collective's a lot of like it's it's a whole sitting. Mm-hmm. Maybe you weren't ready for you know appetizers, lunch, dinner, dessert, and yeah. <laughs> Jello <laughs> roller coaster ride and a half. Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm totally gonna go in to Strawberry Jam because Feels is like my my go to. Mm-hmm. Like I'm gonna get in there. And even then, um, I think Feels is is really good too, but there's really the only songs I go to on that album are uh, the first two and then uh, Purple Bottle. Because yeah. the rest of it, they, they get into more like ambient territory, which is... These is like bizarre. Mm-hmm. It's it's very different. It's That's a record I've definitely uh been needing to spend more time with but i feel like with strawberry jam they really just there's there's no fat on that record even even some of the songs that i don't go to as much they still provide such a interesting experience everything that it's just fun going along for that whole ride and then i think the closer on that record too is just very beautiful very um brian wilson inspired which I think mm. is a really great way to wrap things up. Good pitch. Thanks to everybody for listening in. We really appreciate it. Visit us on any kind of social media. Like we said, whatever the platform calls for, leave a review, a like, a follow, whatever you need to do. Give us any kind of suggestions, comments. Let us know what you think. Share us with a friend. You know, all that stuff helps us move up the rankings. Appreciate that. And look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. Thanks so much. Take care. Take it easy.